We are this semester uh, looking at how God makes men and some principles from God's word. And we're looking at various men in the scriptures and what God did in their lives and shaping them and using them and how he worked in their lives. And so uh, I think we can start off kind of on a level playing field as men to say, we recognize that all of us uh, as men, we're a work in progress, aren't we? Um, I don't think any of us would argue that we got everything already figured out in our lives. We are exactly in every way who God wants us to be, uh, and there's nothing we can work on. So we start from a kind of a foundational starting point that God is working in us and hopefully through us. Uh, We're desiring to grow in our relationship with Christ, and hopefully as well we're starting from this standpoint of we need one another as we seek to grow. Um, the Bible has so many principles that speak about the necessity of, of one another as we seek to grow in Christ and as we seek to sharpen one another. And so it's great that you're here. I encourage you to be here each week. And as I do every week, I encourage you, if there's another man that you know could really use encouragement, use accountability, and could benefit from being here, invite them with you as well. Uh, we're going to get to Genesis chapter 37, where we're going to begin in just a few minutes. But I want to begin by just stating the principle, again, this is based upon a book by Patrick Morley called How God Makes Men, and he looking at 10 different men and then some principles from their lives. And so the principle tonight is the principle of what he calls the greater good. The greater good. And there's a question as we get started uh, that I'd like you to just consider for a moment as we get started tonight thinking about the life of Joseph, which is who we're going to look at tonight, and some different passages from God's Word. And the question is this, do you really believe... That God is faithfully at work in your life today, leading you, shaping you, and remaking you into a more complete man for his glory. That's a question. Do you really believe this? That God, no matter what it was that went on in your life today or what you're going to face tomorrow, do you truly believe that God is faithfully at work in your life today, leading you, shaping you, remaking you into a more complete man for his glory? Do you believe this? And I want to illustrate this for a minute as we get started. When I was in high school, I remember in, in playing basketball that we would have uh, at the beginning of the season, which was kind of like almost preseason, we would have practices and we would have practices that were labeled as conditioning practices. If you played football, you know what conditioning is when you'd have two-a-days, and I've even heard of three-a-days as far as that goes with football. Uh, when you have, if you were a wrestler, I wrestled for a little bit, and we would have conditioning in wrestling uh, where we would be running staircases, like up and down staircases and grass drills and all of these things that we would be doing for conditioning. And in basketball, I remember vividly we would have conditioning, and the thing I hated about conditioning is you never used a basketball during conditioning. Uh, there was no ball at practice, and I used to hate that because we'd go to practice and there'd be no basketballs at practice that you would utilize, and everybody would be looking around and be like, when are we going to use a basketball? And the reason we didn't use a basketball is all we did during conditioning, no basketballs, we would do um, defensive slides where you just would be standing there and you would be doing defensive slide, defensive slide, or we would be doing suicide runs where you would be running and touching the foul line, then you go to the half court line, then you go to the other foul line, then the full court, and we would just be running sprints and we would be doing drills, defensive drills, and it was conditioning, and I hated it. And I remember when I would be playing basketball early on, junior high years and into in the high school years, I, I could never understand the benefit of this because we're here to play basketball. And so there was, we made it synonymous that if a basketball wasn't at our practice, 
we kind of felt like this isn't basketball. If, if there weren't basketballs out at practice or we weren't using basketballs at practice, it was kind of like, what are we doing here? Because there's no basketball. So what are we really accomplishing if all we're doing is defensive drills and running drills and all this other stuff? What are we really accomplishing in doing this? Uh, because we put it as synonymous that if there's no basketball, then what we're doing really isn't that valuable. Because it doesn't really matter. But before long, the season would start and we would have our first game. And our coach would tell us whether or not you guys win or not, you're going to be the most conditioned team. You are going to hustle more than anybody on that court and, and you will not be winded. Well, the point was all that we were doing leading up to games and leading up to utilizing the basketball was preparing us giving us what we needed so that when we introduced basketballs into our practice, uh, we were ready. We weren't going to be uh, lazy. We weren't going to be tired. We were going to be conditioned. But we made it synonymous, and at least I did, and I know a lot of the buddies that I had when we were on the team, when we didn't see any basketballs out on the court, we thought this is going to be a meaningless practice. We had to learn that. We had to grow in that. We had to understand that. And I think sometimes what can happen in our lives as believers is that if it's not something that we can see, touch, handle, or if it's not something that we see immediately as meaningful, we think there's no meaning in it. We think it's not beneficial. We think it's not helpful. We think it's not producing anything if we can't hold it, touch it, see it, handle it, or if it's not what we would perceive as important in our walk with God. And I think what's important in the life of Joseph is Joseph's going to serve as an example tonight of how God was at work God was shaping, molding, and at work in Joseph's life, even when, according to everybody that would on the outside be looking in, they wouldn't see it. They wouldn't understand it. And so this question that we're posing, do you really believe God is faithfully at work in your life today? Do you truly believe that the God that you serve, that the God that I serve, he truly is at work in our lives as his children, as men of God? God is at work in our lives, and no matter what it is we're facing no matter what obstacles we're facing, no matter what trials we're enduring, no matter what's going on that seems completely out of our control, that God is at work and he's doing something. And he's doing something for the greater good, a greater good, and for his glory. And I think we're going to see that in the life of Joseph today. And so I I wonder, do you have belief in that? Do you have buy-in in that? Do you have trust in that? Do you have confidence in that? Because sometimes... It is very easy when we can't touch, handle, hold tangibly in our hands what we think we need or want. When we don't understand and see the things that God is doing, it's very easy to grow discouraged and weary and think, man, God, I don't even think you know what's going on here. I don't even think you're at work. I don't even think you care. Uh, I talked with someone this past week that's enduring an awful lot in their life. I mean, it seems like the hits keep coming. The hits keep coming. And this individual has every reason because of all that is going on to come to a point of saying truthfully in our human thinking, does God care? You know what he said to me? He's like, God is faithful. God is faithful. He knows the faithfulness of God. And oh, that we would have that kind of faith, right? That we would have the kind of faith that would say, man, I believe God is working for the greater good, for his glory. And we're going to see that in the life of Joseph. So here's what I want to do tonight. We don't have time in one session with any of these men that we're looking at to to give a complete survey of their entire lives and read every passage of scripture that talks about how they honored God or how they struggled in their relationship with God or what trials they endured. So what I'm going to seek to do is just kind of give a, a brief overview by looking at several different passages in Joseph's life. In Genesis chapter 37 is where we're going to begin. In Genesis chapter 37, to get you up to speed, Joseph um, was the son of Jacob. 
And we get the picture in Genesis that Jacob loved Joseph even more than his other brothers. Uh, Joseph was kind of very, very special in the eyes of his father, uh, so much so that Joseph would have a special garment, uh, a coat uh, that was a colorful coat that Jacob had made for Joseph, and it kind of put Joseph like on this pedestal, made him stand out as like dad's favorite, and his brothers hated Joseph because of this. Um, and if you have siblings and you've ever been in a situation where one sibling seems to get all of the attention or all of the whatever, um, you know how that can trickle down. Uh, I sent a picture uh, to my wife the other day of one of our daughters, our youngest daughter, when she was a baby uh, that came up on like a time screen thing on, on uh, my phone. And I said, hey, remember this? And it was when she was just born, the day she was born. And so we were praying with our girls uh, going to bed last night. And as we were there praying with them, I joked around. I was like, hey, I was like, honey, who, who's the, uh, who was the cutest baby out of all the girls? Like joking around, complete joke. And so I, I said that, and my wife, playing along, was like, oh, very clearly Leah, the youngest, like the baby in the family. She's like, clearly Leah. And two of my daughters, I knew when we said that, would not even pay attention. They don't care. They knew we were joking around. But I knew one of my daughters would look up and be like, figures, like that's what she would say, because she's like, she's the baby. And so sure enough, as I said it, I looked at my one daughter expecting that reaction, and that reaction happened. <laughs> she, she happens to be my oldest. And she was like, figures, and she started laughing because she knew I was looking at her then. I go, uh-huh, I knew it. But there's something about with siblings, whether we want to say it's true or not, it's true that they're looking out to see the fairness doctrine, right? Who gets to do what and who gets this? And my oldest is perfect for this because she was like our first. So we were like really more protective with her than we are with our other kids, poor thing. That there are things she was not allowed to do until she was a certain age. And now we're like, yeah, go ahead, whatever. Like, and she's just is appalled over that because we let her siblings do things that she wasn't old enough to do when we didn't know necessarily what we were doing yet. And, and so this is something that we can understand, all right? This is not far removed from our understanding. Joseph has brothers that know he is dad's favorite. You can see that's a problem right away. And to top it all off, Joseph was also being shown by God that, that God had big plans, like how he was going to use Joseph. And Joseph would have dreams, and he'd have a dream about how he would see his brothers bow down to him, and even his father bow down to him. And God was revealing to Joseph some things that would take place in the future. And here's what Joseph did, and I don't know if I'd recommend this. He, he let his brothers know about it, which is, uh, you want to talk about another strike, just to set the stage here so we know what's going on in the context. He's dad's favorite. He's marked as dad's favorite with a special garment, a special jacket. He lets his brothers know that. He lets his brothers know that God is, is giving him a dream and revealing to him that they're going to serve him, basically, or bow down to him. And so you can imagine what that does with his older brothers and how they had a hatred towards Joseph. And so that brings us to Genesis chapter 37, verse 18. Now, Joseph was going to his brothers. He wasn't with them at the time, and his father sent him to them. And it says in verse 18, they saw him, Joseph, from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to what? To kill him. Okay? Again, I've talked about this last week. I've talked about this many times in our men's study. We can read through passages of Scripture and just breeze through them and not really step back and say, man, let's really consider what's going on here. This is not hyperbole. This is not the author here writing, uh, Moses writing, say, hey, listen, and they just, they wanted to kill him, like hyperbole. They, they thought and were conspiring about the possibility of killing him. 
That's how angry they were. That's how much they hated him at this point in time. That's how much they wanted to be rid of him. And so Joseph's coming to them, and he's completely oblivious to this. They saw him from afar, and they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. This is their conversation about Joseph. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. You see the bitterness here? You see the anger here? Do you see how they truly hated the thought? They hated the thought that their younger brother would in any way, shape, or form have any kind of authority over them. That they would bow down to him. We'll see what will become of his dreams. They said it multiple times. But when Reuben heard it, one of his older brothers... He rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. Gives gives you the picture here that not only were they conspiring to do this, but they were going to begin to act on this, because it says that Reuben rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. Do you see what's going on here? Reuben, one of his older brothers, His brothers want to kill him. They're conspiring. And then you get the picture that as Joseph approaches them, they begin to act on this plan. They're going to kill him. And they're going to leave him for, they're going to kill him and throw him in a pit. And they're going to blame it on a wild animal. And Reuben stops him. And he stops him and says, hey, listen, don't shed any blood. Like, don't, don't you do this. Instead, throw him into the pit in the wilderness. Don't lay a hand on him. Let's just le- abandon him. Leave him out here. We'll be done with him this way. And the passage says Reuben's intention was to be able to go back and rescue him. He didn't want him put to death. He wanted to rescue him. And he's trying to sw- dissuade his brothers from doing this to him. And so it says that he didn't want to shed any of the blood and he'd restore him. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So you get the picture. They're carrying out somewhat what they wanted to do. But here's what I found interesting. You talk about how, like, petty these guys are about this. What's the one thing they do when Joseph comes to them? They make sure to rip that coat of many colors off of him, right? They make sure to rip off what distinguished him or set him apart from his brothers as dad's favorite, if you will. They ripped that coat off him. They threw him into this pit. There was no water in it. And then verse 25, they did what men do. They sat down to eat, okay? So after they did this, and they're carrying out their plan, there's no remorse here on their part. There's no even like really thinking like, should we really do this? They sat down to eat. Looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. These were traders. They were coming down, and they see them. And Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. How noble, right, of Judah. So noble of him. He's like, hey, guys. Let's not kill him and, and his blood be on our hands. Instead, let's just sell him. Like, this is, this is not nobility here. This is not him doing anything, like, necessarily good for his brother. Um, in some ways, this could even be a worse, uh, you know, result for Joseph, depending on whose hands he would fall into and what that would mean. But he says, hey, let's not kill our brother. And why? Because he says, what profit is it to us if we kill him? Let's make something. Let's make some money out of this. Let's profit from this in some way. Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Um, 
all of a sudden, I don't know if it was a sense of dose of reality or maybe he was hit with his conscience. I don't know. I get the picture. His bigger issue was he wanted to make some money off this. And so he says, let's get rid of him by selling him. And it says, his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. We read that Reuben would return to the pit and see that Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. So obviously they did this without Reuben's knowledge. They did this without an understanding that Reuben would have, and they probably perceived, right, that Reuben was going to care for his brother or try to rescue his brother, and so they did this. And so here's what you have. And the reason I'm spending a lot of time up front on understanding that Joseph was sold. I could have just, we could have just looked at Genesis chapter 37 and said, hey, listen, I want to bring you up to speed. Joseph was sold into slavery here. And he was, he was sold by his own brothers. They just wanted to get rid of him. And so they sold him. The reason I'm, I'm setting the stage here is this was a very, very harsh, difficult act that took place in Joseph's life. We can, we can just kind of breeze over or glaze over it by saying he was sold by his brothers into slavery, but don't miss the hatred, the abandonment that was here, the anger that was here, um, how bad this would have been. That Joseph, in coming to his brothers, which we have no reason to believe Joseph didn't love his brothers. On the contrary, we would see Joseph did love his brothers greatly, even in spite of what they did. But Joseph's coming to his brothers, and he's just kind of like, here he is, that dreamer who... You know, you get the picture that everything's great with Joseph and his brothers want to kill him. They want to kill him. And then they sell him into slavery and they're good with it. And they're like, bye, like the, that's it, it's done. And so here you have a situation where God is working in Joseph's life. He is at work in Joseph's life even though Joseph can't see it. Again, this is a word picture for us, okay? Even though they can't see, Joseph can't see the ball. God is fully at work and doing what only God can do in Joseph's life in the midst of these circumstances. And Joseph can't necessarily see that yet. His brothers certainly aren't seeing that. And to the average person that would look at Joseph's scenario and his circumstances, they would never look at what Joseph was enduring and going through and say, oh, wow, right then and there, that's God at work. Because they can't, see, they can't see it. But he was. God was at work in Joseph's life. And so he says that, you know, this is what happens to him. He's sold into slavery. And it says in verse 36 at the end of the chapter, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So this is now where Joseph's at. He's been sold into slavery. He's been sold then um, to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. And here's a point that I think is important to, to understand. God makes men by orchestrating even the toughest circumstances of our lives for a greater good. God makes men that honor him, that love him, that serve him, and that are used for him by orchestrating even the toughest circumstances in our lives for a greater good. Do we believe that? We have the, the luxury of looking at the story of Joseph and knowing how the story ends. And if you don't know how the story ends yet, you will tonight. But we have the luxury of looking at Joseph's life from the very beginning of the account of Joseph's life and know what the very end of the account is of Joseph's life. Joseph didn't have that luxury. He didn't have that luxury. And listen, guys, we don't have that luxury in our own lives to know all of the details and all of the outcomes. And we don't have the luxury to be able to stand back and say, ha, 
you're going through this or I'm going through this, but I know exactly what God is doing because in seven years, in six months, in 24 days, God is going to show me why all this is happening in my life. We don't have that luxury today. But here's what we do have the luxury of knowing and believing in faith, that the same God that was very present in Joseph's life, orchestrating, working all things for good and God's glory, is the same God that is doing the exact same thing in our lives today, no matter what it is we're facing. And I don't know how much worse we can get than what Joseph's going to endure here. Sold into slavery by his own blood brothers. Sold into slavery by those that really should have loved him the most in his life, abandoning him, wanting him dead, leaving him for dead. That's what they did in his life. And yet God was orchestrating the events of his life for his glory and ultimately for Joseph's good. In chapter 39 of Genesis, we get another read about Joseph. It says, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So again, Joseph was sold, Potiphar bought him. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man and was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. You see how God, even immediately in the midst of circumstances that we would say absolutely awful what happened, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was giving Joseph favor in the eyes of his master, of the person that he was sold to in slavery. We read similar things about Paul having favor in the eyes of the jailer and and, and that Paul would have opportunity to share Christ when he was in jail and he was in prison. We read about Jesus, how Jesus would grow in wisdom and stature in favor with God and with man. God is fully capable, no matter what it is we're enduring or walking or going through, of orchestrating all of the things that are happening in our life for our good and his glory and for a greater good that initially we might not see because we can't hold it, we can't handle it, we can't tangibly touch it, and yet we know this is who our God is and this is what our God does. So we see this in Joseph's life. It says in verse 2 to 4, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. The Lord gave him success in everything that he did. Here's the trial. The trial that Joseph was enduring is he was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Abandonment, betrayal, hatred, rejection. But in the midst of that trial, God was at work caring for Joseph, and he had a greater good in mind. May we never underestimate the power, the comfort, and the courage that should come from the Lord was with Joseph. And may we never underestimate the courage, the power, the encouragement that should come for you and I, guys, when we can say with confidence, the Lord is with us. That's a huge statement, that if we truly believe that, what is it that we would face in this life if we know the Lord is with us? That we should not be able to look at with confidence that God is able, whatever it is in our lives, to take what we are experiencing and use it for not only our good, but a greater good in his glory. And sometimes that's that's so foreign to our thinking. I admit in my own thinking, I can tend to do the direct opposite of that. I can do the direct opposite. I'm like, yeah, the Lord is with me, but it would be great if he would show me. 
right? If God would just show me, if God would make it clear, how many times have you asked of God or petitioned God or cried out to God and it seems like God is silent? And in his silence, you're wondering, like, is he with me? Does he know? Does he hear? And we know the answer already is yes. But what is God wanting us to learn and what is he wanting to teach us and how is he wanting us to grow in that waiting? And we would see this in Joseph's life as well. But it's tough to think through this when we think about our own lives when we can't see beginning to end and end from the beginning. But it should be enough, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it be sufficient for us to be able to know no matter what we face tomorrow, God is with us? Shouldn't it be sufficient for us to know this principle that God is always at work for a greater good in our lives and in general and for his glory? That should be sufficient for confidence an encouragement for us as we walk through this world and we face what we face. Something that we have to think through. Genesis chapter 39, if you continue reading verses 6 to 20. In verses 6 through 20, Joseph, we're told in the end of verse 6, was a handsome man. It says in verse six, chapter 39, verse 6, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Probably looked exactly like me. And it says in the passage, form and appearance, little joke. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Okay? She's not saying lie with me as like tell a fib with me. Lie with me. She's saying she is going after him sexually. Okay, listen, guys. If this doesn't have your attention already that Joseph was sold into slavery, this guy's enduring an awful lot. Let this settle in your mind for a minute. Potiphar was a very powerful man. His wife was probably a very attractive woman. And she probably was used to getting what she wants. Joseph is an attractive man in form and appearance. He's been given authority over all of Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife, who would be very familiar with Joseph, and Joseph would be very familiar with her, it says that she cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Think of this. You want to talk about a hardship and trial in the life of Joseph. You want to talk about something that would be extremely difficult. A temptation that would be right at the doorstep. You know, the Bible talks about how we're supposed to flee youthful lust. We're supposed to resist the devil. We're supposed to get out of there. That's what we're going to read Joseph's going to do in a minute. But think about this temptation and this trial that Joseph would be enduring. He's, He's... do we, all that his master has is in his hands. And the wife of Potiphar casts her eyes on Joseph, desires Joseph, and she makes that abundantly clear. Lie with me, sleep with me, come with me. It says in verse 8, But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? Listen, look up here. Joseph's response to this woman. This is what's very interesting to me. This is how how much of a committed man Joseph was. This woman comes to him and says, lie with me. And initially, as she's petitioning this of Joseph, I get the picture when she's petitioning with Joseph. Like Their desire is, hey, come lie with me. Let's arrange for this to happen. And Joseph's like, absolutely not. How could I do this? Your husband's put everything in my care. I'm equal to him in this house. How could I do this great thing? And and here's what I don't want you to miss, and I purposely didn't read the rest of it, but he says, how can I do this evil, this great wickedness? In the end of verse 9, he says, in sin against God. 
You would almost expect, because Joseph's talked about, your husband's given me charge of all that he has. He's put everything under my care. He's the, I'm the same as him in this house, and I'm, we're like equals in this house in authority, and he's kept nothing back from me except for you because you're his wife. So how could I do this great wickedness and sin against him? No, he says, and sin against God. You see that even in the midst of what was happening in Joseph's life, his priority here was not to sin against his God. There was confidence and belief in his God, even in the midst of this. Listen, if you want to talk about, guys, have you ever justified, because I know I have, have you ever justified sin? Have you ever justified giving in to temptation to sin because of circumstances, because of, well, I have a need, or, well, this didn't work out, and so it's understandable, and, well, I'm really struggling, and God knows that, and so I'm going to give in to this, or, well, there's all kinds of things outside of my control, so I'm here, might as well. Like, we, we justify and rationalize sin. You want to talk about a man who had every right to, just, to justify sin in human terms, in human eyes? He was sold into slavery, by his brothers. God was the one who was giving him this dream that his brothers would bow down to him. And yes, he made it known. And maybe Joseph did it with arrogance. But it was God that was going to orchestrate the things that were going to take place. And his brothers would bow down to him. And, and yet here he is in slavery, enslaved with a people that's not his people. Living a life that wasn't the life he ever intended to live. In a position that he's been placed in forcefully. And here's a woman that's throwing herself at his feet and he happens to be in an environment where this is perfectly able to happen and no one's going to stop him from doing it. You want to talk about the prime opportunity for justification of sin? Obviously not in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of man. Here it is. And man, can't we be guilty of that? Can't we be guilty of saying, well, listen, I deserve this or I should do this because of all the things that have gone wrong in my life. But not Joseph. He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How can I do this in sin against God? In verse 10, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Guys, listen, do not miss this trial, this temptation, this difficulty. It says that day by day, day after day, day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. She was pursuing him. Day in, day out, here it is, and yet he refused because he would not sin against his God. And so you would think, man, praise God. This is a guy that's set apart for God. He believes the Lord. All right, Lord, how are you going to reward Joseph? What are you going to do for this man? Look at what he's done. I mean, this is incredible. Like, this is like almost like superhuman strength for a man to have a woman, a beautiful woman, throw herself at him day in and day out, day in and day out, when everything about his surrounding and situation could be something that he could be bitter and upset and angry over. He could be withholding, you know, any kind of praise to God because God has allowed this. And instead, what is at the forefront of his mind? I will not sin against my God. And, and he's, praise God. So Lord, what are you going to do for Joseph? Because look at what he's done. Good decisions, godly decisions, honoring God. Verse 11, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, this woman, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. So at this point in time, 
all of the attempts were failing. And what you get as far as a difference now, as opposed to previous attempts, is Joseph's alone with her in the house, and it's no longer her asking, it's no longer her pursuing it or trying to persuade him, it's her physically grabbing hold of him and pulling him and saying, hey, let's do this. And it's at that point in time, in great wisdom, it says that he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Guys, this, this is an incredible, incredible response by Joseph. So desirous to not sin against his God. I mean, listen, if we're honest, we're guilty of premeditated sin. We plan for, we make arrangements so that we can sin. If you're here tonight as a man and you struggle with pornography, you probably premeditate your pornography usage. You know when you can do it when no one's around. You know how to cover your tracks if your wife checks your phone or the computer. If you're in an adulterous relationship tonight, which with this many men in this room, that may be the case, you premeditate your sin and you know how to cover your tracks and you plan it very carefully. Whatever the sin may be, we're so good at premeditating our sin. Joseph not only would not give in in a premeditated way, but even when hit right on the spot, his response immediately to honor his God was to leave his garment and flee from the presence of that sin so that he did not dishonor his God. Now, here's why I'm sharing all this with you. Because we look at all that Joseph was doing and we think, praise God, this is what Joseph did. He's honoring God every step of the way. How is God going to reward him? What's the blessing that God's bringing into Joseph's life because he's doing what is honoring to God? Well, look at what it says. Verse 13, as soon as she saw that he left his garment in her hand and had him and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid upon his garment by her until his master came home. She told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Guys, this is what's going on in Joseph's life. His brothers sold him into slavery, abandoned him, hated him, wanted him dead. But Joseph honored God, and the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph then, so as to not sin against his God in the face of great temptation, day after day after day after day would honor God and not sin against God. And when that temptation landed right on his lap, literally on his lap, he left his garment and fled and ran from that temptation so as not to dishonor his God. He honored the Lord. And as a result of his honoring God, what happens? He's falsely accused and he's thrown in prison by his master. He's thrown into the prison where the king's prisoners were confined. I need to make a point that I think is important to get this, morning, or this evening. Right choices 
do not always produce happy outcomes. Understand this. Right choices, choices that honor God, do not always produce happy outcomes in the immediate in our life. It is a false teaching for anyone that teaches, if you truly follow Jesus, you will never have to endure hardship, persecution, or trials. That's a false teaching. It's a false teaching that if you honor Christ, if you just honor Christ in your living, you'll never have any difficulties in this life and God will bless you and give you everything if you honor him. That's a false teaching. Right choices do not always produce happy outcomes. But don't miss in the midst of what was going on what the very next verse says. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. And listen to this. And showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. It's another one of these verses as you read the story of Joseph, we can just breeze right through. Look at what God says. This is what he says about the Lord was with Joseph and showed him what? Steadfast love. You see that? How remarkable is that? The Lord was with Joseph and showed Joseph steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And so again, this isn't what Joseph necessarily would have asked for. It's not necessarily what Joseph would have expected. And if Joseph was a man like you and I are, and these temptations were great and he resisted and honored God, the last thing on earth he probably thought would happen in his resisting temptation and honoring God was he'd be falsely accused and thrown in prison and really abandoned now by his master whom he loved and cared for and loved and cared for him. But here he is in prison. But even in the midst of the prison. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was showing Joseph steadfast love, and he was granting Joseph favor in the sight of those that were in the prison. The absence of happy outcomes does not mean the absence of God's presence and care. I think that's important for us to understand. The absence of happy or what we would deem positive outcomes in the immediate does not mean that there's the absence of God's faithfulness and love and care. And sometimes we can be guilty of of thinking that's the case. That is not the case. God, every step of the way, as we're going to see in just a minute as we wrap things up, is working in a way for the greater good. For the greater good, for Joseph and others and for his glory. Sometimes we need to recognize that God has something bigger and more important in mind than just our present happiness. Guys, I think if we can understand that principle and grasp that, sometimes God has something bigger in mind. Something God, sometimes God has something bigger and more important in mind than our present happiness in our circumstances. God is at work. Remember, we started with that foundation. If we believe God is faithful, and we believe God is at work, and we believe that God is fully in control, then we can believe this statement. Sometimes God is at work, and he's doing something greater than our present happiness. Sometimes God is doing things and orchestrating things that we don't understand, and there's coming a point in time where it will be seen and understood and revealed, but maybe not yet. How many of you have ever watched the movie Karate Kid, the old Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi, Daniel's son? So in Karate Kid, do you remember when Daniel is being trained? Daniel LaRusso is being trained by Mr. Miyagi. And he has, he has Daniel catching flies with chopsticks and trimming, you know, um, bonsai trees. Is that what they're, bonsai trees? Did I say that right? And he's trimming the bonsai trees. And then he has him doing all these random things, paint the fence, 
right? Wax on, wax off. Paint the fence. Uh, there was something else as well, and I'm trying to remember what it was. Wax on, wax off, sand the floor, sand the floor, right? So, so he's doing sand the floor, wax on, wax off, paint the fence. And there's a point in time where he just is repeating it over and over and over again to Daniel's son, and Daniel's son's there, and there's a point in time when he is like, wax on, wax off, and he's like making kind of light of it, and he's like angry, and he's frustrated over it, and he doesn't get why he's doing that. It doesn't make any sense to him. He's training for a karate match, and here he is, this karate guru, and all he has him doing is painting the fence and sand the floor and wax on, wax off, until Daniel LaRusso is going to fight. And it comes time for the fight, and as he's fighting, they make it a point where the paint the fence wasn't just paint the fence, but it was like paint the fence, ha, like blocking. And the sand the floor wasn't just to sand the floor, but it was like, you know, he could block the stuff. And all the things he was doing are beginning to make sense in his mind that, holy cow, like all this time I was doing these things that I thought were ridiculous and meant nothing. I was being trained on purpose for what was coming. And he didn't even know it was coming, but Mr. Miyagi knew it was coming and he knew it would benefit him. And, And guys, listen, that's what God does in our life. That's what he's doing in Joseph's life. He is preparing and molding and shaping and using all of the things that are happening in Joseph's life for something far greater that Joseph doesn't even know yet is going to happen clearly. He doesn't process that yet. We see it. He didn't see it yet. And I don't know what you're enduring in your life right now, but probably many of you in this room can give testimony. I know I can. Of things that when they were happening in my life, I'm like, God, what are you trying to teach me? Because I don't see it. And years later, it's like, wow, that's what you were doing. That's what you were doing. And we see, and our eyes are open, and we're like, God does care, know, love, and orchestrate these things for his glory. That's what's happening in Joseph's life here. It doesn't make any sense at the time to anybody on the outside looking at this. It makes no sense. But sometimes God has a bigger and more important plan in mind than just our present circumstances and happiness. This is a trial that he would be enduring. He'd continue confinement. If you read on in chapters 40 and 41, we don't have time to read all this, but in chapters 40 and 41, Joseph is going to interpret a couple of dreams while he's in prison. He's going to interpret dreams for a cupbearer and a baker that are in prison. And he tells them, hey, remember me when you get your freedom. And they forget Joseph. And Joseph's left in prison again. And he's just kind of left there. But there would come a point in time where Pharaoh would have a dream and Joseph would be remembered and he would interpret the dream for Pharaoh and it would come to a point where then Pharaoh would promote Joseph to a position of authority and power in the land of Egypt. And as a result of Joseph being promoted to a position of authority and power and Joseph's ability to interpret the dream, God would position Joseph to be able to save many lives, many lives because of a famine that was going to come into the land. And God was orchestrating and utilizing all of the things that were happening in Joseph's life to bring him to a point of being a ruler in Egypt to save lives. Not only lives of those he didn't know, but even the lives of his own brothers and his own family that otherwise would have been doomed because of the famine that was in the land. And so if you, read, if you don't know the story of Joseph, read, read through Genesis all the way through chapter 41 and what takes place here and read it to the end of the book of Genesis and you can read of Joseph's story, his interaction, his reunion with his brothers. We don't have time to get into all that, but you know, if you know the story of Joseph, he's going to be reunited with his brothers and his brothers are actually going to bow down to him as a ruler 
just as Joseph saw in his dream. And Joseph would be reconciled to his brothers. It's a very dramatic reconciliation that takes place. Dramatic reveal. Again, read it. Uh, It's pretty incredible. But I want to, because of time, jump all the way to the end of the story of Joseph. And this is Joseph's interaction with his brothers after his dad dies. So when his brothers were reunited with Joseph, they were worried. They were worried because here's the guy that they hated and sold into slavery and wanted to kill. And now he has complete authority to kill them. He has complete authority to make their lives miserable. And so after their father, Jacob, dies... His brothers are really concerned. They're really worried that now that Jacob is dead, Joseph is going to exercise vengeance upon them. And he is su- or they are super upset about this and worried about this. And so Joseph knows that they're bothered because they go to Joseph and they're like, listen, when your dad was still alive, he wanted us to be reconciled and he wanted us to care for each other, Joseph. Like, we're good, right? And Joseph is just, you know, he's processing all this and he comes to a conclusion in chapter 50, verse 20. It says in chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers, first look at verse 19, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. You're selling me into slavery. That's what he's talking about here. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You know what Joseph's conclusion of his life was? You know what Joseph's conclusion of his life was? He looked back on all the things that happened in his life, all those difficulties we've talked about tonight, all the struggles, all the injustice, all of the false accusations, imprisonment and hatred and abandonment, all of the things that happened in Joseph's life that to anybody watching would be like, man, Joseph has just, that guy can't catch a break. That guy, he doesn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve that. You know what Joseph's response to all that was? Am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? What you meant for evil, what others meant for evil, God meant for good because God had a greater good in mind. Many people, many people would have their lives saved because of what God was doing. And how God has brought Joseph to the point of authority he was in. Joseph's perspective was that this was all at the hand of God. Because God had something greater in store. And here's what I always share when I share this passage that I I think we don't want to miss. We can tend to think of this passage where Joseph says, What you meant evil against me, God used for good. But the passage says, What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Our God is not a reactionary God. God doesn't look at all the things that take place and say, what a mess they made. How can I take the mess that they've made and turn it and make it something good? Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. From the very get-go, God was in control of this. He meant it for a reason, for good. And guys, that is so hard for us to process when we're in it, when we're right in the midst of it. That is hard for us to come to grips with and realize when we're in the midst of it. But think on that statement for a minute. What if we revisited every single trial, every difficulty, every hardship through that lens? How different would our perspective be? How different would our encouragement, courage, boldness, and acceptance of what God brings into our life, how different would it be if we were reminded what you meant for evil, God meant for good, that God is orchestrating all things for our good and his glory, for a greater good? 
I think we need to be reminded of that. I think we can be reminded of God's faithfulness as we look at the life that Joseph lived and what God did in his life. You think for a minute. Think for a minute. If we could hear the following about Joseph's life. If you knew nothing of Joseph, nothing of his being sold into slavery, of being falsely accused and imprisoned because he honored God by resisting the temptation that was before him. Of We knew nothing of Joseph interpreting dreams and then being completely forgotten and left in prison. We knew nothing of the abandonment and hatred by his family, his brothers. We knew nothing of all of these things. If this is what we knew of Joseph with these verses, Genesis 39.2, you've never heard of Joseph before. And say, hey, like, guys, let me, let me describe the life of someone that's in the Bible to you. And this is what it says about his life. Verse 30, or chapter 39, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Verses 3 and 4 of chapter 39, the Lord gave him success in everything he did and Joseph found favor. Verse 21, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. Verse 23, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Verse 5 of chapter 45, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Verse 7, God sent me ahead of you. Verse 8, it was not you who sent me here but God. If I could say, hey guys, listen, I'm going to describe someone's life to you and and I'm going to leave Joseph's name out. Here's this guy. The Lord was with him and he prospered. The Lord gave him success in everything that he did and he found favor. The Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor. The Lord's steadfast love was upon him. The Lord granted him success in whatever he did. The Lord used him to save many lives. The God that he serves went ahead of him. You didn't send me, but God sent me. If we knew nothing of Joseph's life, and that's all I read to describe it, would we ever picture the life that we're talking about as one that was sold into slavery by his brothers, abandoned? falsely accused and thrown in prison and forgotten when he was in prison, who was hated by his own brothers, who honored God, and as a result of honor God, his life was even made more difficult by imprisonment. Would we ever describe that life by those terms? It would be completely foreign to us. Why? Because when he's going through it, we don't see it. We see no profitability. We see no results. We see no anything that in our minds would be worthwhile. But God does. God knows. He sees it. And I want you to think about that for a minute because we have the luxury of hindsight of looking at what God was doing all along. We have the luxury of looking at this description and saying, yeah, God was there. God was using him. God was there. God was using him. He was faithful. He was involved. We can look at it from the outside and say, wow, but guys, do you realize if we could step outside of our lives and look, we would see the exact same thing is true of our God who is faithful, who loves us, who cares for us, who goes with us, and he is at work. We can have confidence in that. And we doubt, don't we? We doubt, we fear, and we forget. We doubt, we fear, and we forget. Listen to this quote that Patrick Morley makes in his book. He says, God always has a higher purpose and a greater good for our lives. In the midst of even the toughest circumstances, he is at work, not just in the circumstances themselves, but in us, shaping us as his sons to be more usable and beautiful for him. While God is making us into the men he created us to be, we are to each under the protection of his meticulous providence. While God is making us into the men he has created us to be, we are under the protection of his meticulous providence. No one, nothing can touch you as a child of God without the allowance of our God. And if our God allows it, we have his promise that it is for our ultimate good 
and for his glory. That should bring us great comfort as we face the trials and difficulties that life brings to us. I don't know what you are facing today. I don't know what God is allowing into your life today, but I know this with full confidence. He is faithful. He is at work. He is shaping you, molding you, and growing you, and using you for his glory. He can be trusted. He is present. He is listening. He is at work. He is in control. God makes men by orchestrating even the toughest circumstances of our lives for a greater good. We see that in the life of Joseph. I hope we can begin to see that in our lives as well. Have some questions for you guys to consider at your tables here. Number one, do you have a marriage, work, health, money, or other major long-term problem that you pray and pray about but nothing seems to change? What do you know to be true of God in the midst of these difficulties? Guys, we cannot allow our understanding of who God is to be shaped strictly based upon our experience or circumstances. Who God is and what we know to be true of God is revealed in his word. And so we cannot allow our experiences, our trials, our difficulties to serve as the foundation or the authority for our understanding of who God is. We know who God is and what God's word says about him. What do you know to be true? What do you know to be true in good times and in bad about the God that you serve? Number two, what was the liberating principle that God revealed to Joseph at the end of his life? And hopefully he reveals to us how can and should that change our perspective as we walk through this life. And what did you learn or how are you challenged from the teaching tonight? How will that help you make better sense of your life and help you to become the man God's created you to be? I'm going to give you some time at your tables to discuss these questions. If you can get through all of them, great. If you only get through one of them, get through it. But discuss this at your tables. Be a help to each other. Thanks, guys. All right, guys, I hope you had some good discussion at your tables. Uh, I know we went a little longer than usual tonight. Um, here's what I find interesting as, as we wrap up. Uh, Joseph's conclusion, right, at the, end of the, at the end of the matter here with his brothers was he is not in the position of God. Uh, God uh, was working, and God was the one who was in control and orchestrating all things for his glory and, and ultimately for good. I think we see the same thing in, in Abraham that we looked at last week. If you remember, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac if need be. And the writer of Hebrews said, because he counted him faithful who promised that even if Isaac needed to be raised from the dead, he counted God faithful to his promises. And so Abraham was operating with the understanding of what he knew to be true in the end. Joseph was operating with what he knew to be true of God that this is God who is at work and God is orchestrating. Can you imagine how much differently we would live our lives and look at everything that happens in our lives if we operated in faith with the understanding that God is fully in control and that the end that God already knows and is orchestrating for his glory will reveal what exactly he was doing. If we operated under that before the end was fully known, we would have much greater faith. We would have much greater confidence. And that's what Abraham did. That's what Joseph did. I think that's what we see through so many men and women in scriptures who had great faith. They believed in God. They trusted God. They knew God. And they believed what God was doing. And so they were able to exercise faith in what would, be, would really seem like impossible circumstances.